Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today I'm talking to Murray Salwa, Director of Corporate and Sustainable Development at the International Olympic Committee, and Tanya Braga, Head of Legacy at the IOC. The IOC leads the way in terms of putting sport at the service of humanity and the planet. And Marie and Tanya share with me the IOC's plans to be a catalyst for positive social change and innovation and an accelerator for urban and regional development. So very excited today to be able to talk about a topic that's dear to my heart and has been for many, many years, the, the whole um, idea of the Olympic movement, the Olympic values and, and um, everything that, that Olympism stands for, because I think it's such an important part of the whole sports movement. Um, Maria and, and uh, Tanya, um, two people that are sitting right at the center of, of this conversation within the IOC. Um, you know, we both know that um, legacy and sustainability are core to the Olympic Movement's strategic roadmap, Agenda 2020. Um, but I wanted to start, Marie, with you and this concept of legacy. Um, you know, we know it was introduced into the Olympic Charter in 2003. It's, a, 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 I think, one of the cornerstones of the Olympic Agenda 2020. Um, but legacy means different things to different people. Um, I mean, I, we're learning that you know, the title of the book is Legacy Sport, and we're finding that different people react to that word in different ways. So just to start off, what, what does um, legacy mean to the IOC? Um, and why did the IOC decide to make this part of Agenda 2020 and, and even introduce it into the organization earlier than that? So you are right uh, to say that the word legacy appears for the first time in 2003 in the Olympic Charter. And it coincides with the time uh, of the candidature of the Olympic Games 2010. At the time, Vancouver 2010 candidature file had as a motto, Legacies Now. And the intention was to start delivering benefits for the population in advance of the Olympic Games. It's funny to see that now, 10 years later, as we celebrate the 10th anniversaries of Vancouver 2010, uh, we can say that they set new benchmark in terms of legacy in education, in social inclusion, and in environment. And you're also right to say that 2015 was another key milestone uh, in the Olympic movement for legacy, as we launched Olympic Agenda 2020. We indeed changed completely the approach to the organization of the Olympic Games. We no longer ask cities what they can do for the Olympic Games, we ask cities what the Olympic Games can do for them. And as a result of that, I mean, Paris 2024 and Los Angeles 2028 have been uh, elected. Um, and as part of Olympic Agenda 2020, in 2017, we developed a new legacy strategic approach. And what does it mean? It means that we engage much earlier with future hosts in a dialogue which helps clarify their vision, their plans to deliver tangible and intangible long-term benefits, for their people, for their, them as hosts, and for the Olympic movement. And this is how we define now um, Olympic legacy. When we say, you know, it's the result of a vision. And for us, it uh, comprises all the tangible and intangible long-term benefits 
which can be either initiated or accelerated by the hosting of the Olympic Games for people, individuals, for host territories and for the Olympic movement. And in addition to engaging much earlier with the cities, we also insist a lot on the necessity to set up a proper governance to supervise Olympic legacy implementation after the Olympic Games. And we keep a relationship long after the Olympic Games are over with these legacy bodies. And this is a change because we used in, in, in history, we used to have um, you know, relationship with the organizing committees, but we were not so much involved before and after. And uh, when uh, you set up such a governing body, uh, you see that uh, most of the time you are more successful in terms of legacy. And an example of that is, I'm sure you are aware, uh, the Los Angeles 84 Foundation, uh, which was established with a surplus of the Olympic Games Los Angeles uh, 1984. And as uh, at the time, you know, uh, provided and after the Games provided uh, an increased access to sport to, uh, if I if I'm correct, 3 million young people. And this has led to, you know, the new candidature of Los Angeles 28, uh, 2028. And now Los Angeles 2028 is building on this legacy with a vision to continue to increase sport participation and inclusion. So this is an, a nice uh, and successful story. That's great. So, so Tanya, you're um, somebody who's worked both at an organizing committee level and now at the IOC. Um, what are some of the best examples? I mean, I think LA 84 is a great example of, of an amazing legacy uh, program. Um, what are some ex examples that, that you think are, are good to shine a light on when it comes to legacy? Just to help listeners understand what legacy actually is. Yeah, Marie has already mentioned uh, Vancouver 2010. That uh, for us, it's really one of the best examples on a very complete and thorough uh, legacy approach that they worked with the communities uh, in the whole region of uh, British Columbia uh, and to have a dialogue with the population in these different uh, cities and communities to understand how the games could uh, support and uh, accelerate uh, social benefits that uh, were the priority for each of these uh, cities and communities. And uh, the work uh, has continued. They started even before the candidature. And 10 years after, it became a kind of a social venture that is supporting different associations and communities on sport, education, literacy all around Canada. Another example, a bit old one, but uh, that's really interesting, is the one of Seoul 88 uh, in two different aspects. The first one is that, again, they use the surplus from the games to create an organization called the Korean uh, KSPO Sport uh, Agency. And uh, this organization has grown to promote uh, sport in Korea, both uh, sport for grassroots, for everyone, amateur sport, uh, and also uh, high-level sport. And today, this organization alone funds 85% of the sport in Korea. Uh, they are also responsible to maintain the Olympic Park in Seoul that has become really a, a place 
in the city for sport practice for culture, as they have one of the biggest five open air museums in the world, but also to have a place really for uh, the people in Seoul to have a moment to live with nature and for leisure. So these are two examples very uh, far away in time, but uh, that shows uh, the different aspects uh, of legacy for sport, but also uh, on the social and uh, the tangible that is uh, uh, how to, to make use of this infrastructure in the long term. So, so I love that idea that the Olympic Games are a moment in time where humanity comes together to ce celebrate everything that's good about sport. But the legacy component is something that lives both before the games and after the games as an enduring benefit uh, from having hosted those events. And, and I think that's probably such a power, well, not probably, it's just such a powerful model that, um, that the rest of sport could, could follow, uh, could learn from and follow. The, Marie, coming back to you now, the, you know, the world is changing a lot and has changed a lot in the last 10 years, especially. Um, people, the fans expect corporations to stand for something more than just profits. They expect them to, um, make a positive contribution, a responsible contribution to a better, a better world. Uh, and as a consequence of that, many brands, many corporate brands have responded by um, becoming more purposeful in the way that they go about running their business. I, I'm, I'm interested to understand um, to what extent the legacy program uh, from the IOC forms part of the value proposition uh, that, that both the IOC and the LOCOGs offer to their corporate partners. Um, and what are some, some good examples of how sponsors, partners have activated around legacy? So as you said, more and more commercial partners look for purpose-led association. They all strive, uh, you know, of uh, being a good citizen. And if you take the example of Tokyo 2020, for instance, commercial partners have played an important role in engaging with over 90 million Japanese ahead of the Games. Uh, an example of that is Procter & Gamble, that organized campaign, you know, to clean beaches and various places and to collect used plastic waste to create the podium of the Olympic Games. This obviously has a huge impact in Japan, but beyond Japan, you know, is helpful to raise awareness on uh, sustainability and waste management. Uh, there was also another program led by a domestic partner to collect electronic waste. Uh, through a general public campaign to make up the Olympic medals. But another example is Toyota, who is playing a critical role in developing sustainable and innovative mobility uh, through the use of hydrogen. And, uh, and this is one of the solutions, you know, as you know, for uh, sustainable mobility in the future. So again, it has an echo both locally at the national level and globally. And if we uh, look uh, into the future in Paris, one of the domestic partners, for instance, a bank, is really traveling the whole country to qualify small companies, small enterprises, to work for the Olympic Games. So you see more and more organizations, both at the global and a national level, helping the organizing committee deliver these legacies. So, so that's a great segue into the, the next topic I wanted to cover, which was around the other part of, of your work, um, which is on the sustainability front. Um, another, another a topic that features prominently in Olympic Agenda 2020. Um, and I, and I, I think the, the work that, that your team have done over the last couple of years has been outstanding. And would you mind sharing some of the achievements um, at a, a, first of all, an organizational level? So you have a wonderful new building um, that you're headquartered in now. 
but you're also um, the Olympic Games themselves have also become a beacon of of um, a benchmark of of uh, quality when it comes to sustainable delivery of events. Yes, so um, since 2015 and the launch of Olympic Agenda 2020, sustainability is one of the priority of the entire Olympic movement. Uh, it doesn't mean that we didn't do anything before. Actually, a lot of organizations had projects, you know, on sustainability, uh, but we didn't have, uh, we didn't, uh, I mean, we have elevated now sustainability at a, as an executive priority, which is collective and which should be implemented in a systematic manner. And this is why we have developed a sustainability strategy that help embed sustainability in everything we do. So as you said, the IOC as an organization, as we have to be the role model, you know, and walk the talk, the IOC as owner of the Olympic Games and the IOC as leader of the Olympic movement. And we do so in allowing, I mean, in ensuring that everybody is focusing on five key focus area. One is infrastructure, be they natural or uh, built. Sourcing is the second topic, sourcing and resource management. Third topic is workforce, mobility, and climate. So to give you examples of what we do as an organization, as the IOC, um, we have worked a lot on our footprint. And not only we have reduced our footprint, but we are actually compensating all our emissions. And we are a carbon neutral organization as we speak. And we are striving to become uh, climate positive. Uh, you also mentioned the Olympic House, for which I've been a project, the project manager. And indeed, Olympic House has been um, said uh, to be one of the most sustainable buildings in the world. In particular, it has reached several very rigorous uh, sustainability uh, certifications, including the highest lead before platinum uh, score worldwide. So which is really the latest uh, version of the sustainability certification at the highest level. Uh, we also work a lot on the mobility. Um, mobility and we have a, a vehicle fleet made of uh, eight hydrogen cars and we have been uh, very innovative as we have the first hydrogen station in Switzerland for private cars. We also work a lot on the procurement processes. So you see a lot of, of things ongoing at the IUC level. And this is important for us for credibility when it comes to uh, a discussion and work with organizing committees as well as the Olympic movement. Obviously, the Olympic Games are what people see the most, what is most visible, and therefore we work hand in hand with the organizing committees to make sure we maximize uh, impact in that respect. So what do we do? We have reinforced the commitments in the whole city contract and the operational requirements related to the Games, but we have also strengthened our support to the organizing committees by providing much more expertise, uh, through different um, partnerships um, that we have, either with uh, the International Union of Conservation of Nature, with UNEP, with ILO. And uh, we are also uh, setting the bar quite high, uh, as we are now uh, asking the Olympic Games uh, to be carbon positive starting in 2030. A lot has been already done by them uh, to go in that direction. Uh, you know that Tokyo is aiming at carbon neutrality, uh, Beijing uh, will be, I mean, all the venues in Beijing will be powered by renewable energy. And Paris 2024 will be another very important milestone as this edition of the Games is aiming at cutting by half the footprint of the Olympic Games and so, compensating it all. So, Mary, if I can just interrupt you a second there, because not everybody understands this concept of carbon positive. What, what does that actually mean? So the first uh, things you need to do to become positive is to reduce as much as possible your footprint, uh, meaning the footprint of uh, your constructions, your operations, 
and transportation. Once you know, uh, and once you have done all these uh, reduction measures, uh, you uh, either uh, buy credit or you introduce new technologies to um, create a carbon reduction. And with this uh, carbon reduction, you can offset your footprint. Uh -huh. So the idea there is that you're actually, you're, you're, doing, you're actively looking for ways to do more good, not just doing less bad. Exactly. Okay. And I think that's a really important principle for sport because what I've also seen is that there's been a, um, an increasing amount of activity around sustainability programs aimed at just minimizing the bad as opposed to actively looking for ways to do good. And so I'm hoping that that's something that, that the industry will, will embrace going forward. So, so Carb, sorry, yeah, this, go ahead. Yes, I think it's interesting what you said, because if you look at the definition of sustainability that uh, uh, we have put forward for the Olympic movement, we say in its decision-making, the IOC, if we take about us as, as role model, aims at maximizing the positive impacts and minimizing any negative impacts that sport and its own operation can have on the environment, societies, and economies. So you see that we first try to maximize positive impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, so important. And so, so the, games, the games themselves are becoming a model of sustainable event delivery. Um, but the other, the other thing that I think you've, you, the, the IOC has done a great job of is, is um, building collaborations across sport and across society outside of the games times um, to also further this agenda. What are, you know? What are some of the some of the initiatives that that you're working on um, outside of the actual games themselves? Yes, we we have a huge convening power, and if we work with the entire Olympic movement, including all their the events, you know, we all organize, we have a huge impact. And beyond the games, which are visible every two years, uh, we have an even bigger impact uh, if you um, take into account all the federations, all the national Olympic committees, and this is why, and all the athletes, by the way. Uh, so this is why uh, we have tried to uh, join forces um, to, um, you know, to support some of the initiatives we felt uh, were really, uh, uh, I mean, in line with a strategy. So typically, as part of the UN Clean Seas Initiative, we are working with the Olympic movement to address plastic pollution. And we have gained momentum with 11 federations, four NOCs and three commercial partners who have already committed to this initiative putting concrete measures in place to reduce plastic waste. Uh, we also have supported uh, Anna Mills, an athlete, to launch its Her Big Plastic Pledge campaign, which aims at uniting athletes against plastic pollution. But we also have another uh, initiative that we launched uh, in 2018 uh, with UN Climate Change. Um, we launched the Sport for Climate Action Framework. And this is important when it relates to climate as it helps develop an agenda for sport to address climate change at large. We now have, you know, a little bit more than one year and a half later, 120 sports organizations who have already joined forces, including 15 international sport federations and national Olympic committees, and the upcoming organizing committees that we were just discussing about, Tokyo 2020, Beijing 2022, and Paris 2024. So you see that when we come together as the All Olympic Movement, we can have a huge impact. So I'm excited about the next decade. Um, you know, I think the, the, what I've seen of the planning for Paris 24 and LA 28, um, I think it's gonna be transformational in terms of its impact on sport. But I'd, li I'd like to hear from both of you, um, you know, what we can expect over the next 10 years. So Tanya, maybe 
on the on the legacy piece um you know what are your if i if i allow you to kind of dream and wish for a second um uh, what are the things that you wish wish for over the next 10 years on the legacy front within and across the IOC and the Olympic movement? I think uh, the the first point we we expect to see more ambition and flexibility. Ambition in the sense that uh, we can expand uh, the benefits uh, well beyond uh, the seven years of the preparation for the games and uh, make uh, many initiatives in terms of uh, sport practice, education, uh, skills building uh, to last uh, for many decades after the games. So to be more impactful and long lasting uh, in a sense, and to have a more, uh, I would say, a cohesive approach and uh, with different uh, hosts of uh, previous Olympic Games working together in programs around the youth and sport. Mm -hmm. uh, we also aim to see more mass sport events and physical activity programs in those host territories that would that's staying for years, decades after the hosting of the Olympic Games. For example, we already have cases like that. It's, uh, people talk a lot about the legacy of Barcelona 92 in terms of the uh, urban renewal, but there are some very interesting aspects on uh, sport and youth. For example, they have a camp, sport camp for school kids that has been going on nonstop for 25 years that gives opportunity for kids in Barcelona to discover new sports and to practice. Uh, so our ambition really is to that every single uh, edition of the games, those to come and those of the past will have this kind of uh, a projects uh, continuing for many decades. And I think the other key word for us on this dream for the future is flexibility, to continue to adapt the Olympic Games to the needs of the host and the changes in society. And for this, uh, it's important for us to strengthen a continuous dialogue with stakeholders, with those organizations that are uh, on-site uh, uh, keeping the Olympic flame alive uh, everywhere uh, throughout the world and uh, we also hope that we can have uh, more visibility in terms of the the great stories that uh, people are creating in in Olympic uh, cities um, across this hundred years of uh, Olympic legacy. Right. And, and another piece that I know you and I have spoken about before is the, is the link with the sustainable development goals. So 2030 will be the kind of um, culmination of, of the SDGs. Um, th there's also a role, important connection between sport and the SDGs and legacy and sustainability, isn't there? Yes, there is. Uh, I think, uh, the way we work with the SDGs is that uh, if we look at uh, the purpose of 
the Olympic movement and the Olympic Games. There are four SDGs that are, I would say, in the DNA of what we do. That is uh, what is related to, to health and the health benefits that can come from sport practice. Uh, gender equality, uh, peace. Uh, we have a history of the Olympic Games contributing to peace uh, across this hundred, over hundred years of uh, Olympic Games. We have been seen more recently with the Games in Pyeongchang in 2018, how the Games were uh, contributed to open the dialogue for peace. But we have seen this before. Uh, for example, we are now preparing to celebrate the centenary, the 100 years of the Olympic Games in uh, Antwerp in Belgium. And it was in 1920. And it was really a moment when the world was getting out of the First World War and this uh, message of peace and bringing people together to celebrate uh, human values that is part of the history of the Olympic Games and as well, of course, the partnerships for sustainable development. But through the work we do in sustainability and legacy, we can broaden uh, and make this work much more uh, uh, we can also contribute to other SDGs, mm -hmm. such as uh, life on water, um, sustainable cities, uh, production and consumption. So um, we aligned the work we do uh, with these big goals of the, the humanity. And, and Murray, from your side, I mean, what do, you, what do you wish for over the next 10 years in terms of the work that you and your team are doing? Uh, more ambition. Um, I think we are on a good path to achieving the majority of uh, the objective we have set for ourselves, uh, both in sustainability and legacy for 2020. But as uh, we know, I mean, the, the context evolves, the expectation from society continue to raise. And uh, to achieve an overarching 2030 strategic intents, which are aligned with the sustainable development goals, as we just mentioned, uh, which are to inspire and assist the Olympic movement in developing sustainable sport worldwide, to ensure the Olympic Games is at the forefront in the field of sustainability, and for the IOC to be a role model in sustainability, we need to continue to raise ambitions. And this is challenging for everyone, it is for us as well. Uh, but you know, uh, we want to be daring, and a recently announced objective to make the Olympic Games climate positive is an example of that. Mm -hmm. And as we all, you know, realize now with the COVID-19 crisis, I mean, that we are experiencing, uh, you know, it reemphasizes um, the need to raise our sustainability ambitions. So I think uh, it's not specific to sport, but it is also true for sport. Right. Well, those are great, great ambitions to have. And um, I guess that what I'd like to end off with, Marie, is just to uh, ask you if there is any message that you have for sport generally. Um, when it comes to sustainability, legacy, purpose, kind of words that are used to describe, you know, a similar thing, which is this intention to use sport as a platform in a responsible way and in a way to do good. If there's anybody out there that's thinking about, you know, whether they should um, embrace this topic, what it's, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the IOC has gone all in when it comes to legacy and sustainability. What advice would you have for, for the rest of sport in terms of how they should approach it? 
So I, I would say that legacy and sustainability are no longer a choice or the cherry on the cake uh, for uh, many industries and sport is no exception. And I feel uh, with its global reach and universal appeal, sport has a unique power and also a huge responsibility to raise public awareness and help the world and, and, and do its share of the work to address some of the today's greatest sustainability challenges. Well, that's a great place to end. Thank you both very much. It's been a, it's amazing to think how fast uh, 30 minutes can go. Um, you've both been great. I've loved talking to you and uh, keep up the great work that, that you all do um, and the inspiration that you provide. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Neil. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.